Jason Carmen is a Vancouver-based screenwriter, director, and producer. His 17 short films have screened internationally at festivals, including the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, Whistler Film Festival, and Telefilm Canada's Not Short on Talent at Claremont Ferrand. A graduate of the Master of Fine Arts in Film Production and Creative Writing program at the University of British Columbia, Jason has worked in documentaries, dramas, coming of age, and dance on screen. He is a 2016 recipient of the James Lee Foundation Scholarship, and in 2019 he was awarded the 2019 Best Editor Award at the Vancouver Short Film Festival for Lionhood. Jason is an advocate of equity for Asian Canadians in media, and has just completed his first feature, Golden Delicious, a 2020 recipient of Telefilm Canada's Talent to Watch program. So today we have a very special guest, Jason Carmen. He just directed a new movie called Golden Delicious. I saw the movie. I personally thought it was awesome. So we have Jason here, and I was wondering if you could please introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, definitely, Niha. Um, my name is Jason Carmen. My pronouns are he, him. And I am a writer, director, and uh, executive producer based in Vancouver. I identify as a queer Asian filmmaker. I've done about 17 shorts over the past 15 years. And uh, Golden Delicious is my first feature film, premiered at the Vancouver International Film Festival. And it's currently touring across the world through film festivals. So when you say across the world, any like different countries, like do know a couple countries off the top of your head that you want to say where it's been or well predominantly it's been playing in Canada and then the United States but we are set to premiere in Australia at the Mardi Gras Film Festival during World Pride end of February that'll be exciting uh, because it's the first time outside of North America it's playing and I could tell you it's not going to be the last time because I know some <laughs> other screenings uh, we're playing at in other continents. I just can't say where. So here's the synopsis of the movie Golden Delicious. Caught up in his girlfriend's desire to take their relationship to the next level and his father's misguided encouragement, Jake, played by Cardi Wong, is stressed by the feeling that his future is being forced upon him. In the midst of this pressure, Alex, a confident new neighbor with a love of basketball, moves in next door, and Jake experiences a newfound attraction that seems to conflict with what everyone expects from him. Navigating high school drama in an age of social media while doing his best to please everyone, Jake is forced to come to terms with who he is and what life he wants to lead, knowing those closest to him might get hurt in the process. Writer-director Jason Carmen crafts a contemporary Vancouver coming-of-age story with a terrific ensemble cast driven by Wong's performance that captures the complexity of living up to cultural and familial expectations while trying to define yourself. You've been in this business for, you said, 15 years. What made you want to get into directing and writing, making movies in the first place? I've been inspired with movies since I was a kid, from Star Trek, which I'm a big fan of, to action films like Indiana Jones. I've always thought that movies were a, a wonderful way to escape, but also to represent a way of living. So I got into movies because of Hollywood. 
I really enjoyed what I was seeing on screen when I was a child and Hollywood brought me to new worlds, uh, brought me to new places and introduced new ideas. Um, I also saw that movies offered a, a better way to, to live. I was young at the time, right? Uh, and I was looking for role models, looking for answers. And my parents, which are a Asian Canadian, you know, they were working long hours often, so I didn't have them there. Uh, so I looked towards movies and television as kind of a, a way to learn how to fit in into North America and how to be. Why I say this is because I, I started to want to understand why s certain kinds of movies affected me the way they do. And, you know, through that curiosity came a desire to understand myself and a desire to understand others and I saw that through storytelling and directing. So that's how I got inspired into movie making and storytelling in general and the craft of directing has taken me a long time to get into because there's just so many facets for you to understand as a director and I think it just takes um, over the years, it, it takes a, a lot of time and patience um, in order to build on what you know to get to the spot. I was wondering what movies inspired you? I know you mentioned Star Trek and Indiana Jones, but were there any other movies, maybe when you were a kid or maybe when you were a teenager, you were like, this is really inspiring, I want to make movies like this, or maybe you're inspired by something new, like you're like, oh, I really love the Avengers, or I love the new Star Wars, like, you know, I'm just wondering what kind of, what movies inspired you when you were younger, what movies inspire you now? That's a great question. The movies that inspired me when I was younger uh, were often fantasy films and sci-fi uh, when I was a teenager. Uh, and then, you know, as I grew into uh, a young adult, I started to have feelings for the same sex. And I got interested into coming-of-age films mm -hmm. because they showed me a way of understanding myself. One of the films that resonated with me was Beautiful Thing, which uh, was a British film, and it showed two young men coming together in uh, the housing projects. And it was a it was a positive film uh, at the end. Sorry, I kind of spoiled that. I just realized as a young adult at the time in the 1990s, we were subjected to a lot of shame, to HIV and the prospect of death. The idea of actually being happy, being in a, a loving relationship was so beautiful and cathartic that, you know, I just couldn't help but fall in love with Beautiful Thing. So that was a movie that, that resonated with me. Uh, a number of years I was seeking out similar stories like that. They seemed to come out from Britain. And then I started realizing, oh, there's not a lot of stories where, where I see myself in, in them. I think it was the middle of the last decade where I started seeing Spa Night, their Soundless Windchime, which is from the Netherlands, and there's a front cover uh, directed by Ray Young, for example. So those films started having Asian actors in them. Oh, Wedding Banquet was another one. They were life-changing, and I started wondering why aren't there more stories of us out there like that? So I wanted to contribute. I wanted to change that, and I wanted to contribute to that. What was your friends and family's reaction when you told them that you wanted to make films initially? They thought it was a phase, to tell you the truth. A career in the arts, it's not a money-making venture. I was committing to a life of hardship, that's what I was told. I thought that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it on my own terms. 
I actually have a degree in geology, so that was my first bachelor. So I did the thing that I thought my parents would be happy in, right? I have that degree, and I did three years of of work in oil and gas, and I was just not happy doing that. And you know, like yourself,、uh, I did volunteer in arts organizations at the university. And I really enjoyed these little moments here. I, this is where I, I got to learn a, a lot about others and myself in the process, and be able to express. So I didn't want to give that up. I decided to take a leap of faith and commit to it, regardless of what people were telling me. I didn't want them to tell me how to live my life. I was going to at least give it a try, right? Yeah, I think a, a lot of. Members of of underrepresented communities or BIPOC communities, they can relate to what we feel because we, we know we prioritize or we're supposed to prioritize putting food on the table, right? And and following culture and tradition, putting family first. These things, while they're noble,、mm-hmm. uh, they can also、uh, not be fulfilling as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right and. How do you grow as a person when you suppress an aspect of yourself in order to satisfy others? You you can't reach your full potential, in my opinion. I th- I think you have to find a way to integrate what you really like doing, while also putting food on the table, earning a living. Right? Yeah, for sure. Of course. I know that Golden Delicious is like your your big first feature film, and you've produced a lot of shorts. You've mentioned. I was wondering, like, what was the jump like from producing shorts to your first feature film? Like, besides the length of the film, was there anything you learned on the way that, like, oh, are these are shorts and big feature films actually very similar? The jump from shorts to features is a big one, and I think it should not be underestimated how big it is. People sometimes think that they can do a feature. On the same budget level as a short, and there's a lot of things in post that、uh, you can cut around in shorts, but you can't cut around in in features. So there's that, that there's that aspect. I think endurance is another thing that you know you have to prepare for.、Um, I mean, it's a given that a feature length takes more time to to film. But you really have to love the project. You, you really need to be able to be comfortable with what you're going to be exploring and expressing, because you're going to be committing so much of your life to it. But at the end of the day, it's also going to define you,、mm-hmm. whether or not you like it or not, right? So I don't think it can be something flippant or superficial. It, it has to have many layers and. You should be able to, as a director, give 110% into your feature project because no one else will, right? Yeah. So those are kind of the the things that I've noticed between shorts and features. Yes, the, the energy, length, structure. That's the other thing with a feature film. You know, you're you're asking the audience to commit、um, a longer period of time. So I think you need to be aware of structure in your in the way you you tell stories. And it sounds obvious sometimes. Sometimes we get so enamored with a scene or with、uh, with a concept that it's really hard to separate ourselves from from what the audience needs to see and and be able to move on with, right? So that's the other thing. Structure is really key in long form storytelling. So another difference between shorts and features is、uh, subplots. I think with shorts, 
you don't have enough room for subplots. So there's usually just the main plot, the A plot, right? Mm -hmm. But with features, in order to sustain the audience attention for two hours or, or 90 minutes, uh, you need to have subplots in there. It might sound easy, but the existence of subplots, as I've discovered, is to either support the theme or subvert it. And it offers a way to compare the main character's journey with something else that's either different to create a conversation between the two because the audience needs they, they also need a break we can't always be following the main character for 90 minutes sometimes sometimes we, we do need a cathartic moment is like okay let's take a, um, a break from from the a plot and then move to something else and then who knows maybe that that subplot will intersect with the main plot and support it or or yeah subvert it so now talking more about golden delicious what inspired this movie? Did you have any inspirations for like the subplots, the main story, and the characters? Like, How did you get the idea? How did you make the idea? So Golden Delicious was written by Gorman Lee a while ago. I, I don't know exa the exact date, but I had a chance to meet with Gorman around 2013 and fell in love with, uh, with his coming-of-age story. Um, both Gorman and I are Asian Canadians. And, you know, as mentioned, I wanted to see a bit of my contemporary queer adult self in in movies. So I worked with Gorman in order to make sure that the characters were authentic in their experiences of, you know, coming out. And what I also wanted to see was more the impact of social media on young minds because I am um, an educator at a couple of schools in the lower mainland and I've seen the impact of social media on how people behave and think and see themselves. You know, one of the things that I hear from older, more mature people or just older people, not necessarily more mature, right? When they um, come back to me and they see the movie, sometimes they'll tell me that they don't understand why it's such a difficult thing for a young person to come out or to find themselves because it's all there already, right? All the legwork has been done. Information is readily available. Well, I think that that's part of the issue is that there's too much information that's out there, which leads to the feeling of being overwhelmed and anxiety and paralysis, right? We are inundated with these images of being perfect and not being able to make mistakes and cancel culture. So what if we were to come out and say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or out someone by accident? Are we going to be judged? And will there be any sort of forgiveness for us? This is what a lot of, I think, young people are struggling with, right? And they are tepid with trying to make a decision that will affect the rest of their lives. So I would say, give them a break. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Can't believe we start our last year of high school tomorrow. So exciting. Uh, the most exciting <laughs> leopard rule. Catch you leopards in the AM. No, my hair is messed. Can we do it again? So similarly, like looking at this blends of social media. When I was watching the film, I saw that it had like these different perspectives or ways of filming. Like it had this kind of like Instagram story or Instagram kind of vertical camera. Or they also had the way uh, you're seeing through Jake's camera lens. Like you're seeing exactly what he's seeing through the lens. Uh, there was even a really cool scene where 
it was kind of like him taking all the shots and it's kind of made like a little slideshow movie when he was um, taking a picture of when his friends were uh, playing basketball. I was wondering uh, like what inspired these and what made you want to film some of those scenes like that? Social media plays a big role in the film and I didn't want to shy away from it. I didn't want to dismiss it as just a tool. It's a character in the film. And rather than sort of like projecting this idea that it exists in, in the real world, I wanted to take the audience on a journey and put them in the perspective of what it's like to be on Instagram, to watch someone through camera frame, and then use that um, against what's happening in the real world. Just to backtrack a little bit, I played around with frames and containers a lot in the film. By that, I mean I have varying aspect ratios. Mm -hmm. And today, that kind of visual language is acceptable because we're so used to social media, right? That we, we know exactly what it means when we see vertical aspect ratio, right? That's a versus widescreen, which is more cinematic, more real life, if one wants to say that. That um, understanding of, of what lens we're seeing through is only made possible by the, the technology that we uh, that surround us today, like the, the social media that surrounds us today. Because I, I think if this film were to be made maybe 10 years ago, people would be put off by it and they may not necessarily understand it. I know there were so many really great basketball scenes in the movie. And I was wondering if uh, any of the cast had to do any training for the basketball scenes or was it they everyone is already a pro already? Or... <laughs> That's a great question. The basketball training um, was intentional and not everybody was on the same level in terms of basketball. We, we had to bring in um, a coach to help us out and we did have training camps. Now, that sounds all very easy but you have to keep in mind that we shot this during the height of the pandemic, March 2021. So things that you would take for granted, such as renting a gym or congregating in a recreation center, they were not allowed at that time. Remember, there was a maximum of six people, social distancing, no touching, all these things. So we actually had to do these drills and training camps outside in the snow in February. And it was a big gamble, but it was necessary in order to make sure that everybody was on the same page. Okay. So yes, there was there was training involved to get everybody kind of up to speed. Yeah, I was going to say it sounded like fun, but when you mentioned that it was in the height of pandemic and it was really cold, I was like, oh, okay, maybe not. <laughs> but you know what? Those scenes turned out really good. So you know what? That training paid off really well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Neha. <laughs> it is just basketball. Just basketball. Family is a big, important part of the movie. It shows a different way of Asian families than what is typically shown on, I guess, like a Hollywood screen. The parents aren't persuading their kids to take careers in engineering or medicine. I'm pretty sure at one point one of them made a joke about that. And they're also not pressuring them to get like the highest grades or, you know, things that we usually kind of like typically seen as stereotypes with Asian families. And uh, I was wondering, like, how did you go about directing this? And why was it important to show like another dimension of Asian families in film? Gorman did a great job in writing a very rich background for the Asian family. A, a lot of them, I think, came from his own lived-in experiences, people that he knew. And he's second generation, so they don't necessarily talk about the same things as first-generation families, which I really appreciated. That was eye-opening. 
in order for all these people to have conflict, to be struggling with something and make their conflict relatable to everybody, I identified with the idea of happiness, of somebody wanting to pursue something that makes them happy. This, I, this message resonated strongly with me uh, you know, as an artist, and I think that that's something that a lot of people can take away with. Each of the family members, and this is probably a bit of a spoiler, they want to be happy, but they, uh, they, but they can't either through no fault of their own or maybe their own certain kind of uh, ideas of, of how they should be. They're, they're not allowed to fully be happy. Yeah, each of the family members struggled to, to, to deal with this, and, and, and sometimes they project or lie or manipulate others in order to distract themselves or cope with what they are dealing with. That's why the Asian family doesn't feel like an Asian family. It feels like family that can transcend any ethnicity or culture because we can all relate to that idea of just being unhappy and wanting to do something fulfilling. How'd you know for sure that you like wanted to go into culinary school? Felt it in my bones. What do your bones tell you? So when I was watching the film, I, I saw that it shows the realism of following stability in your career and life, and also having to make the choice between that and your dreams and your passions. We see the parents being exhausted and stressed working at the restaurant Cold and Delicious, and they inform their daughter, who is, a, I believe, a first year at culinary school, that they don't want the same for her, not in that they don't want her to follow her dreams, they just don't want it that, you know, they see her being super stressed and exhausted and maybe the passion just runs out like that. We also see the father character almost reliving his dreams of doing basketball as a career with his son. And I was wondering if you could speak more about these conflicts in the film and why was it important to show both sides of dreams and reality and stability? So I think as a storyteller, it's, it's important to be responsible with what you show on screen because it has a lot of influence on people. And when you show someone pursuing their dreams, I think it's good to show that you have to also be aware of security and stability because it's easy to go down a road and show that everything is amazing, is good, but um, you forget that, wait a minute, there's actually people around you that support you in order to make that happen, or in order to achieve success, there are sacrifices that you have to make, right? So that's what I was trying to portray with many of the characters in Golden Delicious, that you know what they have gone through, it's earned. It's not easy, but they have worked hard for it, and there are some sacrifices that have to be made in order for you to achieve your dreams, which I believe is a very realistic message. That's what I was trying to do with the film, and I feel like I owe the audience to show something that is responsible. I don't see that in a lot of movies these days. A lot of time it'll be like, follow your dreams, everything will be all right. But, you know, I think it was important to show, like, the reality and you know, maybe like sacrifices you make in this sort of balance between passion and stability. He likes being the coach's assistant. He's only doing that so he can be on the court where he wants to be. The relationship between the father and the son is very important in Golden Delicious, especially in relation to the idea of role models. Lack of communication was a key part of their relationship. That's how I kind of saw it. 
And I was wondering if you could kind of speak more about this, I guess, uh, what was going on when you were directing and also maybe when you were reading the script as well, like if you want to talk more about it. I think when we become familiar with each other, we can become lazy in the way we communicate. And that could lead to issues because we, t- we just take for granted that the other person will understand how we feel and what we want and desire, right? So I think that's what happened between Jake, the son, and his dad, George. George just takes it for granted that the family will always be there. His son will always be loving him and it's going to be all right to do other things that distract him and make his life more fulfilling but there's a there's a price to pay right with that as a result of people taking each other for granted and being lazy with their communication i think you get resentment and you get a misunderstanding so the key in my opinion is to check in with the other person regularly i think it's important for you even if it's through social media, you know, ask how's the other person doing? Have a genuine desire to find out how they feel uh, and whether or not you can contribute to to their day. I think this that's what's causing a lot of mental health issues, to be honest with you, is people being flippant and nonchalant with people's emotions and thoughts. What about the restaurant? This is your family's place. We're family. So yeah, the next part is about more of the romance part of the movie. I was wondering, like, how did Golden Delicious reinvent romantic cliches? And I'll give some examples here. I've watched a lot of romance movies. So when some of those, like, kind of romantic cliches happen, they were done in such a good way and they were unexpected, which is good. Because a lot of time you can tell, oh, the love interest is going to bump into this main character right now. Or, like, Alex is kind of like the boy next door, more like backyard neighbor but like you know they're still neighbors at school they're like literally bumping into each other but again the way it was done it was like it felt so natural it's like oh no i'm gonna be late for class oops accidentally ran into love interest here sorry i didn't see you there it's my bad i'm I'm jake jake wong hey alex it's chadley another part where alex is uh teaching how to do the basketball and they're both like okay you want to follow through like they're both kind of holding hands and I was wondering like how how did you reinvent these kind of I guess cliches how did you reinvent them so they felt kind of fresh and and new first thank you for saying that because no one else has ever said that to me so that's good to know that you found it fresh which is great when I watch movies I don't like things when they are predictable right I I try to live in the moment and and I've tried to figure out a way to block the situation so that it feels natural, organic, and unexpected, like in the moment, spontaneous. So if in the scene it calls for, let's say, the the protagonist bumping into the love interest, I would try to choreograph a way so that it doesn't seem like it's premeditated. By my understanding of human behavior and what I see out there. I've, I've actually done some dance on screen films and I've seen how bodies interact with one another and there's a way of moving that feels spontaneous and there's a way of moving that feels contrived, if that makes sense. And so yeah, when I look at how people collide, interact, move with one another, people do move in herds and so when you know, you have somebody that is feeling alienated or like a pariah. They tend to 
move in a different direction. And you can also then start placing other people who, who feel the same way, like in that same kind of direction to hint that they that these two people perhaps might be relating to the same thing, for example. So I know I, I kind of digress there into an example of human behavior, but it's through blocking that I find a way to deconstruct human movement. The movie handles healthy teen relationships well, especially with the male love interest Alex and the female love interest Valerie. They try their best to talk out their problems and support Jake and his interests. I do watch a lot of teen movies and a lot of time people would kind of just be like, oh, they're just teens, they don't understand romance, they don't understand how to communicate with each other. But I wasn't seeing that in this film and that was a really refreshing take teens can have very healthy communication styles. So I had two questions. Why was it important to show both of Jake's romantic relationships this way? And another question is, how did you reinvent the love triangle for queer characters? Uh, so the, the two love interests um, from the, the protagonist, which is Valerie, played by Parma Sahat, an excellent actress. And the other one is Alex, played by Chris Carson, another excellent actor. I knew that these two people were going to be sort of like role models to the protagonist. And I knew the importance of presenting the people that are desirable up on screen in a fresh and new way. So it was important for me, for example, to make sure that the love interest, you know, was just not white, for example. They're multi-ethnic, that's one. I also wanted to show that these two people were strong characters. They knew what they wanted, and sometimes they knew too much. Uh, sometimes they, they were too passionate with what they want, and that can be stifling as well. But I wanted to show that they were confident, that they were not obstacles, that they had depth and had dreams that can be broken and feelings that can be hurt. As an independent filmmaker, I had that opportunity to create well-rounded uh, love interests. And I, there were a couple times when I was under the pressure of cutting certain scenes to shorten the film, but I figured this was my only shot to really create rich characters and it was worth keeping these scenes, these moments in, so that, you know, you got the sense that they were, they felt real and they were going against cliche. Your second question was about love triangles. Yeah, like how did you reinvent the love triangle to like, you know, include queer characters as like important characters in the triangle? I don't know if I reinvented, but I can say that Alex, the love interest, is an openly gay, confident person. At 17, that's rare. He knows what he wants, and I think that that can be very attractive to somebody who's still figuring things out, you know. Not only did he look nice on screen, right, but he also was smart, charismatic, knew what he wanted. Who wouldn't want to hang around him, right, mm -hmm. and have some of that rub off? I think that that's rare in a depiction of queer characters and also the depiction of queer Asian characters because often we are the butt of jokes or we can, um, we're sometimes portrayed as passive and meek. Anyway, this, uh, this character is, again, confident and charismatic. That's how I decided to portray that. My boyfriend used to call me Sexy Lexi. Ex-boyfriend, I mean. 
a lot of time in love triangles, it's usually just like a female straight character and then there's two men. Seeing it with a male queer character at its core and having a male and also a female love interest, even if he's more interested in one and the other, romantically at least, I kind of thought that was a way of reinventing it. Because a lot of time you do just see love triangles as usually just like straight white people. That's how I saw it as reinventing, but yeah. So last question regarding the romance. And again, ultimately no spoilers here. Our main character, Jake, has to make a decision regarding his love life. Why was it important to show different kinds of love in the movie? Like, you show family love, you show, like, a really strong friendship love, and you show romantic love. And, like, why was it important to show these different types of love? So one of the topics that I explore in Golden Delicious is saving face. And this idea that, in at least in Asian cultures, in order to survive, we have to put up this front of of not embarrassing ourselves in in order to put food on a table and respect our elders and do what we're supposed to do. So I go into this because family love is this idea of doing what you're supposed to do and following tradition. We know that we're supposed to, like society tells us we're supposed to have kids and, you know, a house and do all this stuff, right? But sometimes it's not fulfilling. And so that other side is romantic love the things that are sometimes exciting to to pursue but can be embarrassing or risky or maybe even dangerous but you know how can we grow if we don't push ourselves that's the idea so when you know when we have these two things competing for our attention romantic and family love right i think that in rather than kind of denying one or the other i think it's just better to be open about it that's how what i was trying to portray with the movie like why don't we just like say how we feel and we have no control over how other people will feel and respond but there is something cathartic and liberating about just putting our everything out on the table and say this is what i'm not happy with or this is what i'd like to be better can you help me I think there's something really earnest and charming about somebody that's willing to do that, to just put their feelings on the table and say, yeah, can you please help me? Who would say no? (laughs) (laughs) To to, to tell you the truth, I mean, like, if somebody's going through something and then you're asking for help, do you want to be around people that say no, that I don't want to help you? So that's what I'm trying to kind of say, just like, hey, just let's come together, be open, transparent in an empathetic, considerate way and have a discussion and see where that leads us. Society is so polarizing today and we are tiptoeing around a lot of issues sometimes and it's uh, it's hurting people. You can still choose who you want to be. So I saw when I was looking up Golden Delicious online that you had an online campaign on Indiegogo to raise funds for the post-production of Golden Delicious. And for also you did some for some of your other shorts as well. I was wondering, what are some of the benefits and challenges of raising funds for films this way? So crowdsourcing money for films is very labor-intensive. You, you shouldn't discount that at all. Like A campaign doesn't run on its own. You have to invest time and energy and sometimes even money to get it off the ground and keep it going and seeing it through to the end. A lot of people may not realize that. There is also power in raising funds for a passion project this way. You never know who might come out of the woodwork to support you. 
we actually had one friend that came out and contributed ten thousand oh, dollars wow. to the golden delicious indiegogo campaign again i did not anticipate that and that person was enamored by our campaign what we stood for and if it wasn't for the indiegogo campaign he would have not known about it so there is value in going through that in reaching new audiences or reconnecting with old friends but it does take a lot of work and that should not be discounted yeah just a second dad what hey i'm on the way out but i wanted to wish you luck today it's your first game you've been in this business for over 10 years what do you hope for the future of inclusivity in the filmmaking industry, especially for Asian and LGBTQA plus filmmakers? And also, what changes have you seen throughout this time of working in this industry? So what I hope for the future for BIPOC filmmakers is that there's more of us out there. I've seen a lot more BIPOC filmmakers get confident in their voices and I've seen a lot of underrepresented filmmakers opting to pursue a career in the arts more seriously, which is great. The more success stories that we have, the more ammunition we can offer to our parents, our relatives, and show them, hey, look, mom and dad, we can make it. We can make a living here. We can change the world, make a difference. So that's my hope for the future. What I've seen happening now is there's a lot of new filmmakers coming up through the ranks. They are still trying to figure out where to go, who to talk to, who to trust. So I believe that there needs to be more mentorship in the industry, in my opinion. Right now, the issue is that there's not enough BIPOC mentor. Many of the mentors are Caucasian, and maybe they even subscribe to a different way of thinking. They're allies. I, I'm not gonna discount them. Like, they wanna help, right? But at the same time, just um, try to put yourself in the shoes of a filmmaker that's coming from a community that is, you know, typically stereotyped in a certain industry, right? Uh, some things may not come naturally to them. Some things may not come easy to them. So just keep that in mind. Your father, he dreamed big. He dreamed even bigger for you. What words of wisdom would you give to people wanting to write, direct, or star in the entertainment business? So the advice I would provide to anybody that wants to write, direct, produce, or compose, or act in the industry is pick one thing and be good at it. Seriously, I am sometimes astounded by how many different roles people take on and I'm not quite sure exactly what they want to do or what they're good at because they've stretched themselves so thin and they want instant gratification. And I think that if you decide to pursue a career in the arts, you're making a choice. This is a career that takes a long time. It's rare to get overnight success. So I would say, you know, commit to a role or a couple of roles, but not to everything. And then be good at that before moving on. What's next for Jason Carmen? Do you want to try another avenue of filming, like animation, or running your own TV series, or working with a franchise, or is it you want to keep doing what you're doing? Or so, what's next for me? I'm working on a couple of feature-length projects. Um, one of them is is more of a genre film involving a gay Asian couple who accidentally rescues a child from father who they don't realize works for a criminal organization, and so they. 
have to protect the child and the mom from this person while also learning the meaning of legacy. So legacy is the message of that film and it's kind of done in a, in a black comedy kind of way. It's something I've been co-writing uh, with uh, a writer named Norman Lee and we're, we're trying to subvert tropes and defy people's expectations of, of what um, a gay Asian couple could be. So. Okay, yeah, it sounds awesome. Can't wait to see it whenever it comes out. Yeah, I want to I want to thank you so much for your time and this interview and just your your words of wisdom throughout the entire, you know, making of the movie Golden Delicious and you know, you talking about what got you into the industry and what you hope for this industry in the future. Do you have any final words or final thoughts you want to say? Well, I'm just going to say thank you. So, the film Golden Delicious has won many awards. So at the San Francisco International LGBTQ Film Festival, it was the winner of the Frameline Completion Fund in 2021. At the Toronto Real World Film Festival, it was the winner of the Outstanding Feature Film and the winner for Standout Director in 2022. For the Vancouver Asian Film Festival in 2022, it was the winner of the Jury Award for Best Feature Narrative and the winner of the People's Choice Award for Best Overall Feature. 